Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insight. I know I said this was the last of the John Keating. <laughs> it's not the last of him, but this is the last half. We talked for more than an hour, and I just didn't want to waste it. His whole archive of 80 episodes is worth uh, a listen. They're titled in interesting ways as befits his sense of humor. But thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards. Tops, Upper Deck, and Panini. So here's the last of the last of my interaction with John. I'll have him back on at some point, but this is it for that 70s card show, which was a great ride. So here it is, and thanks, John. The perception in the 70s is that no sets in the 70s are a challenge. There could be a few individual cards, but it was like, if I want it, I can just buy it. True to some extent in the 60s, but not true at all in the 50s. Even if you had a lot of money in the 50s and you wanted to get all the cards, you really couldn't. Right. Because things were really scarce and people just wouldn't let them go. 60s, not very many. 70s, there weren't huge cards in the 70s, comparatively. I'm Walter Payton, great card now. Gretzky. And Gretzky, those are huge cards. But yeah. yeah, just fact checking you in real time. You're absolutely right. I looked before the show and if you look at Beckett OPG, it says the most... Perceived highest value cards are the things you talk about, late issues like the Shreveport Captains from the 76 set and various add-ons and bolt-ons. It's one of those rare things where you don't find any Mickey Mantles or whatever in there. As you say, the rare late editions, the 16B Stu Greenstein or the 4B Butch Bentons, people that are lost in history. But there's not a B on it. Basically, if you were looking through a dollar box and you found... It wouldn't say that it's a variation, but it would be. Rich Klein would recognize it. I would probably recognize it, but that's not really what we're looking for. But when you see an unusual card there, it could be the scarce variation. I just don't go through binders to see. My TCMA sets are all like set bags. I have literally all the TCMA sets. All the minor league. All the minor league. Nice little 30-pack team bag, right? They fit in the team bags great. But you can't really show them to people, and I've got boxes and boxes. I didn't even know that you can even sell them. Yeah, Uh, I got you. So I don't know know, what I'm going to do when I have a fabulous minor league collection, and I'm not (laughs) advertising to sell them on your show. But when I die, somebody's going to get them, and I hope somebody would take the whole thing because there's a few of them in there that are a lot more valuable than the others. But a lot of them are $5, $10 sets. But you can't get 5 or 10 bucks if you try to sell them in, in bulk. You and Rich talked a while back on your show about TCMA, and Rich mentioned that they had finally gotten a license. And I think he was off by about 10 years because 2017, there's a set listed that has, I guess it's a serial number to 500. So they went from, according to Beckett OPG, 1989 Albuquerque Dukes was a set, and that was set 646, and then 647 was the 2017 TCMA. It makes you wonder what makes a company go almost 30 years between sets, and then finally get that licensing. Seems it would have been easier to get the licensing in the 90s than the 2017s. Well, it got more and more crowded, and it squeezes the profit margins. and The pro cards of the world and the line drive or whatever, these other kind of things. Again, if you're going to be a disruptor, you want to be the lone disruptor. Classic was in there. You don't want to be competing with other disruptors. Not that it's a race to the bottom, but you just move on to something else. I believe the 70s are underrepresented on my card wall. 
not making a symbolic apology to you about that, but I'm just thinking <laughs> a lot of people really care about the 70s. That's why your podcast resonates. It was my favorite decade to collect. Not so much about the cards as much as where I was in my life. And the cards were fine. We now look back and say that the late 80s, early 90s were like junk wax. We didn't think the 70s were junk wax in the 70s, but they were just the omnipresent cards you could always get. There wasn't a historical perspective of this year's cards, other than the fact that this year was better than last year. My horrible story is that in 73, when I was jumping back into the hobby, and I had a buddy, and he said, I'm thinking about getting either a 72 top set or a 73 top set through mail order, sporting news or something like that. The 73s are just out. The 72s, that's last year's, but they're both 15 bucks. (laughs) What do you think? Do you want to go in halvesies? You don't want to split. And I thought, what kind of a chump was I that I couldn't come up with 15 bucks to buy my own set of 73 or 72? Now, it's worse because... We decided to buy the 73 set instead of the 72 set. Again, because of that bias, that was this year's cards, and that would be more meaningful instead of thinking the 72 top set, which is my favorite 70s top set by far, and really tricky to put together card by card. I later bought it for a lot less money, but not 15 bucks. And the 73 set is long gone. When the set came in the mail, my buddy that I no longer know, it was just a kind of instant friend that said, hey, let's just do that. Let's check it out. When the set came, he reneged. Oh, man. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry. My wife is not going to let me spend this money. You're going to have to take me out of my half of the set. You're talking about $7.50? This is late 73. Okay. And I'm a struggling grad student working <laughs> a few jobs in a fellowship and studying and having a good time, too, and doing card stuff. But seven fifty. I I don't know if I wrote him a check or searched in my wallet in the 70s. I had no thought of being a cataloger. just wanted to have a great collection. I wasn't thinking like when Rich and I in the 90s and 2000s and we're looking for type cards so we could broaden the reach of the catalog. And so I was always trying to get stuff and get the checklist. No thought of that in the 70s. I just wanted to have a great collection. And a great collection was not evaluated by how many TCMA sets you had, or frankly, John, how many sets you had from the 70s. Because by the mid-70s, I had all the tops, all the Bowman, all the play balls, all the Gowdies. That was the entry point for being a serious collector, because that was assumed. And then it was, how many of these regionals do you have? How many rodeo meats and dandy potato chips and Glendale meats and Sugardales and Stallmeyers and things like that? Cons, all that stuff. And cons. And if you didn't have that then that's really what your credibility was. But as I started doing the books and I realized there's an opportunity here, like you said, the legs for the initial price guide were to do more price guides, keep updating, keep adding. And so then in the 80s, I got very aggressive about adding sets that I didn't have. I didn't buy the set if it was real expensive. I just would buy a type card. But you couldn't buy a type card of the TCMA cards. Exactly. So, So I have... The sets, but I didn't need to buy more than one, but I had all these duplicates from that original deal and maybe did that more than one year. So I have a bunch of them. And so I could trade or sell those and get other ones, but mainly it was buying, keeping up with what was coming out that was new. 
that made the 80s not as much fun for me. It was fun in a different way. I was acquiring stuff, but it was almost like I was an archivist, like I was acquiring it for a library. Whereas in the 70s, I was a collector slash dealer. I wasn't trying to make money. I probably went home with a little bit more money at every card show than I came with. But I came back with more cards, too. I had better cards and a little bit more money, but the emphasis on better cards. I was trading, buying, and selling. TCMA wasn't part of that. And by 1980, <clears throat> I was no longer doing any card shows and mm -hmm. no longer really selling cards. Do you think the Max Wax era, late 80s, when we started chasing we, meaning everybody else but me, started chasing rookies, do you think that had the big impact on the TCMA minor sets? We still argue about McGuire. Ruben Sierra was a big deal in 1987, all that stuff. But back in the 70s, we didn't chase the rookies that much. Back in the 80s, when rookie cards got really rolling and very hot, it's amazing. That should have, it only elevated a few. The Henderson is a good card. Fernando was a big one in real time. Yeah, but his minor yeah. league card. When Victor gets into this and talks about the definition of a rookie card and how it's evolved, minor league cards were never in the discussion. Even though they're great cards, they're pre-rookie cards, the DiMaggio Z-Nuts. Nobody's saying that's his rookie card. They're just saying it's a great card. It doesn't have to be a rookie card to be a great card. Henderson, Ripken, the Ripken Charlotte card, the orange and the blue one. Those things are way harder right. to find and actually more expensive than his Tops and Donerson Fleer rookie cards. I would have thought that when the rookie card craze really caught fire, it would have elevated more of the minor league scene. It only selectively did in a muted way. Okay. If there's ever a run on any card that's a TCMA card, it's not that you can corner the market, but there are just not that many out there. I'd rather have a dozen bangers than one incredible Mickey Mantle. That's okay. why I like to buy bulk, too. I could spend exactly. $500 on a card, or I could spend $500 on 30,000 cards. I mean, and I've, find I've never had a want list in the 70s that wasn't cards from the 50s. I never looked to fill in sets of 70s. I just bought the set. Yeah, they'd be right. five bucks or ten bucks or something like that. Well, Galasso, would you get them there, or you just got them at shows? Yeah, I saw some fabulous deals from them hmm. because they were just bulk. I was thinking ahead of what might be more valuable at some point. Again, in the seventies, my hands weren't tied. I right. was a capitalist. Right. Now in the eighties, I thought I'm going to voluntarily restrict. I'm not going to buy and sell of stuff that I'm putting prices on because that's just doesn't seem right. But in the seventies, no such thing. I thought. That looks like a good deal. I'm going to buy it. And I'd buy multiples of something. So right. I got some fabulous deals from Renato Galasso. In fact, I, they were so good, I'd better not even say. Where did they get their cards from? Today, it Top. seems so easy, right? Top. Not necessarily backdoor, but... They vending bat boxes? or Vending boxes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting little discussed part of the hobby, that whole earlier well, 70s. Well, I'll give a and I can't remember when this was in the 70s, but there was a show. In fact, it was a Shea Stadium show, so maybe that would date when it was. I was there at a table, and I was buying and selling, and there was so much great stuff that came in, and people were buying that, and I bought some of that, but Renata Colosso had a table, and they had 63 tops sets, Oh, wait, they weren't complete sets. They were just high number sets. Okay. So they had broken a high number cut case or something like yeah. that. And so right. complete sets of all the high numbers, 50 bucks, which making money. Yeah. And I said, I'll take them. How many was that? I didn't say.
<laughs> you're, ta- not, you're not, well, enough you're to not saying the market, but it was enough. Okay. That, that was one of my better deals. <laughs> Statute of limitations. On the other hand, I should have kept them until now. And a well, lot yeah. as I moved on and traded for other stuff. That's it an just interesting thing. In 78 or whatever, they were 15-year-old cards. You thought, well, I'll get some more of them. But these were untouched. I heard an interview with Mike Arenstein where he said he liquidated his entire collection in 1984. He probably thought he was the bee's knees. And imagine what that collection would be like now. I yeah. think this hobby will, nobody outsmart Well, that you outsmarted is counter instinctual. You out, outsmarted by dying with all your cards. Yeah, that's, outlasting it. Yeah. That's not, and then yeah. again, the last laugh is for your heirs. But yeah. even then, it's difficult to sell a large collection. Yeah. My message to people is because I'm trying to sell 1% a month and I'm now doing that. I still think you're failing at that. But no, no. This, the yeah. last few months, I am. I've been saying that for years, though. This no, but it kicked in. So <laughs> now I'm actually technically okay. really am doing 1%. But if you don't do that, there is some joy in selling stuff that you don't want. In order to be able to find the stuff I do want, I need to sell some of the stuff I don't want. Yeah. And then occasionally you'll say, I wish I hadn't sold that. I said last night on somebody's live stream that I hope it takes my family as long to sell my cards as it did for me to collect them. It'll be their problem, and hopefully they get a good chuckle out of it for a very long time. That's not going to end well. We know how it ends. <laughs> I know how it ends for me. I don't get to my how it ends for them. Yeah, I just have too many cards. And it's like I said, if you had 10,000 cards, but that was 20 sets, you have 20 things. But if you had 10,000 loose cards, which I have more than that, all of which are interesting and different priced, and some are more valuable, some are less valuable. That's a problem for somebody that, unless they don't care. Yeah, we know the value is more of a concern for our heirs than it is for us, because that's not why we started this whole thing. It's fun to have expensive cards, but that's not why we started down this path. Yeah. The have- joke is, and I don't, again, I'm, I hope I'm going to be around a long time, but if somebody were to knock on the door of my fabulous wife, the day after I die or the week or the month after I die and say, your husband was a great friend of mine. I know you don't remember me, but I want to buy his collection. He was always talking about doing the dollar boxes. So sight unseen, I just like to pay you a dollar a card (laughs) because a dollar in, a dollar out. Yeah. That would be horrible. <laughs> if he paid a dollar, I will give yeah. him a buck and a quarter a card. But <laughs> the reason I bought the dollar box cards is not because they were a dollar. Yeah, that'll happen way down the road. So glad to see that you finally have 1%, a little bit of momentum. I'm, a little I'm bit of momentum have... going.